Good morning, church. The word of the Lord this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 26. And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. And you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness And none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, For it is devoted to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Kingsway. I'm Matthew. It's an honor to preach God's word to you today. Before I do that, let me briefly mention two things that are very much on my heart. The first is, you heard this earlier when uh, Josh Jr. was doing announcements, I am eager together for prayer tonight in our prayer meeting. Um, so I was saying, praying a couple weeks ago this week, Lord, what would you have us focus on this evening? Uh, the Lord gave me a particular burden to pray um, for the sick, for those that are physically ill. So here's my ask. If you do not have a communicable disease, <laughs> okay, um, please come tonight. I'm not saying that because I have some sort of word from the Lord that you're going to walk out healed, Um, but the Lord delights to physically heal us through the prayers of his people. 
It's an expression of his Father's heart for us. So please come tonight um, and let us pray for you and join us in praying for those who are sick. Secondly, um, you need to know this, and I, um, without apology, will seize May, the weekend of May 20th every year to do this. You need to know that behind me stands a remarkably faithful wife. And yesterday, we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary, which is crazy. So, love, <laughs> thank you for holding this guy up in more ways than this room knows. God has been good. Lord, give grace now as we, as your people, seek to understand this word. We're grateful that we can gather as a family. Thank you for the relationships we have, Lord, for the friendships we have, that, that this is not a place where you've called us to walk in, sit quietly, hear some things, and then go back out to our merry way. We get to gather together as the family of the living God. And we pray, King Jesus, that you would feed us today by your holy word. Where else could we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Lord, do that especially for those that, if they're honest, they're listening, but they're not really sure what to think of you. Um, Maybe they're skeptical. Maybe they're questioning. Maybe this is their first time in church or they came with a friend. Lord, your words are life for all of us. So help us to see, we pray. Amen. In 2021, Uh, The Pew Research Center on American Religion published a report that I read saying that one in five adults in our country, that's 20%, now describe their religion as nothing in particular. That's up 14% from just 10 years ago, to put that in perspective, in terms of the pace of change. And Pew reported a similar finding earlier in 2017. That year, they wrote that a quarter of U.S. adults, 27%, now say that they think of themselves as spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious. Uh, Which was up eight percentage points in just five years. Clearly, something's changing there. But what does it mean, what might it mean to describe your religion as nothing in particular? Maybe you can relate to that if you're listening to me. Or or to say you are spiritual but not religious. I I think it often means that someone has rejected organized religion, institutional religion, but but still believes in a higher power of some kind. Um, Am I a person of faith? Absolutely. I I still believe in spiritual forces, but I I can't give you a list of of affirmations or denials. I can't say this is true or that is true. I think that's often what it sounds like, what it talks like. Here's the problem with trying to carve out a space called spiritual but not religious. Think about this, my friend. Your faith is only as valuable as its object. Say that again. Your faith 
Whatever faith you believe you have or claim to have or tell the people around you, your mom and dad that you have, your faith, your belief, is only as valuable as its object. So, so say I believe that if I dive off this stage headfirst, right over this podium, I will fly. Is that faith valuable? No, Joel, if correct. It's not, right? It's actually downright dangerous. Why? Because the object of my faith is a lie. I'm not going to fly. I'm going to hit my head and break my spine, right? It's not real. I can believe with all my heart that I will fly, but that doesn't mean I will. Okay, the, the presence of my faith is only as valuable as the truthfulness of the object of my faith or the content of my faith. You, maybe you say you believe in a higher power. You say you believe in a spiritual force of some kind, but friend, that faith, that belief is only a good thing if your, your conception of who that higher power is actually lines up with the truth. If, if, you, if you conceive of a spiritual force to be true, but that spiritual force doesn't actually exist, then your faith, your belief is downright dangerous. And, and faith in nothing in particular, so to speak, can we be honest, is, is no faith at all. It's, it's like choosing to believe in belief. The, the question is, is the object of your faith, okay, is the content of your belief real and true? That's the question. And the Christianity of the Bible, from start to finish, is a walk of faith. It will always be a walk of faith. But, but that faith is not a choose-your-own-adventure. It's not a, a belief in the concept of God or whatever form of God strikes you as attractive or persuasive or helpful or useful. It's, it's faith in God for who he's actually revealed himself to be. It's, it's faith in the God who's actually there, who, who broke into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Period? No. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the content. That's the object. Who not any old son, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, the message of Christianity is not believe in God. Every religion says that, okay? The message of Christianity is believe in the Savior who loved you so much that he died on the cross to rescue you from the judgment your sins deserve. That is the faith God requires. That's genuine faith, biblical faith. That's the faith God requires if you want to experience his covenant faithfulness in your life. Think about this. The, the true and living God does not reward generic faith in a generic spiritual power. It's not the way it works. You have to choose to trust and obey the God who's actually there. 
who made himself known to us in Jesus. Look at, look at verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. And because you listen to these rules, Moses says, and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. Question, what are these rules or the them? Well, it's, it's all Deuteronomy. The entire book declares about who God is and what he's done for us and what he requires of his people as a result. Ultimately, all of it, all the rules, all it declares, it points forward to Jesus, to the person and work of Christ. And so Moses is saying, if you believe them, not what you like to think is true, and you demonstrate your faith by keeping and doing them, not whatever seems good in your own eyes, well, then the Lord will reward you. That's this point. Here's the essential message. This entire second half of the chapter, if I were to sum it up. Choose to walk by faith and you will experience the covenant faithfulness of God. Choose to walk by faith in the God who's actually there and you will experience the covenant faithfulness of God. That was true for Israel back then. And it's still true for us today, friends, because God hasn't changed. Now in saying that, I'm not saying we earn God's love through the obedience of faith. That is not what I said. And that is not what you should hear because that is not what God is saying or Moses is saying or anything else in the Bible ever says. I'm saying the joy in life of relationship with God can never be known or experienced apart from the obedience of faith. It's critical. So, what does genuine faith look like? That's the question we should be asking as we read verse 12 and then jump into the whole rest of this chapter. What's it look like? How's it play out? Well, it plays out in several ways that Moses walks Israel through, okay? Here's the first way genuine faith and the God who's actually there plays out. Point number one, faith anticipates God's blessing. What's genuine faith do? What's it sound like? What's it look like? It anticipates God's blessing. Think about this. Verse 12. If the present generation chooses to listen to his rules and keep them and do them. Translation. If they embrace the obedience of faith. If they do that. What can they expect from the Lord? What what can they anticipate receiving From the hand of God. Well, Moses tells Israel in verse 13. Look there. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. You'll experience the the fullness of his affectionate favor. Moses, Moses isn't talking about favor in the abstract here. Okay, it's, it's not, you know, even though you know your life is full of trouble, at least you'll always know that in some generic way, we don't really understand, but it's mildly comforting, God is for you. No, that's not what Moses is saying, okay? He's describing God's favor in the form of tangible blessings. Notice that. The fruit of your womb. 
The children in your family will be blessed. The the fruit of your ground, the the work of your hands will be blessed. Your your grain and your wine and your oil. Those were the main three crops at the time. Your herds and your flocks. It'll all be blessed. You won't experience infertility, verse 14. You won't experience any sickness at all, verse 15. And where will all this abundance go down? We'll look at the end Verse 13, where will it go down? It will come to pass in God's place, quote, in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. That's where it's going down. In Canaan, life in God's place, Moses is saying, will be akin to life in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. No more suffering. No more curse of sickness. Life as it was meant to be under the smile of God's favor. And if you know something of Israel's history, well, you know that when she actually enters the promised land, she experiences all these blessings in part. In part. So under the reign of King David, and in particular under the reign of his son Solomon, that the prosperity and abundance in Israel was the envy of the known world, to put it mildly. Thank Queen of Sheba. But no barrenness? Well, not quite. No sickness? Not yet. And besides, the material prosperity she did enjoy didn't last. So after Solomon, the the kingdom's divided. And it just quickly descends into rampant idolatry and conflict and suffering. And and the prophets keep identifying the fundamental reason. What's that? Israel, you've stopped listening to God's rules. You failed to keep them and do them. She's reneged on verse 12. She wasn't a faithful covenant partner. And she experienced all the consequences of her sin, her her rebellion against the Lord in acutely physical ways. Occasionally she turned back. But you read through your Old Testament, it just, it never lasted. Never lasted. Unfaithfulness was the name of her game. Friend, her story is our story. But it was not Jesus' story. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus not just show up on earth and immediately die and rise from the grave? You ever think about that? Why why not just do that? Immediately head to the cross. Friend, it's because we needed him to do more than die for us. We needed him to obey for us. Not just to die, to obey. We needed him to what? Verse 12, keep and do all God requires as our representative. So what did Jesus come to do? He came as the true Israel, the the faithful covenant partner to do everything we inevitably fall short of doing. Through, Through his perfect obedience, what did he do? He permanently and eternally secured the affectionate favor of God toward his chosen people. 
That's what Jesus did. Which means, Christian, that the question every day of your life is not, okay, well, can I be good enough today to experience the affectionate favor of God? What's the hope you have every day of your life? Lord, today, thank you that Jesus is good enough for me to receive the affectionate favor of God. Don't start your day with, am I good enough? All right, let's just answer that right now. You're not, you won't be, you'll never be. But Jesus is. And one day, that same Jesus will bring all who trust and obey him home to heaven. What will finally be in God's dwelling place. The land of which, which Canaan was just a, a sneak preview, an, an echo. We'll, we'll finally experience no more suffering, no more sickness. The, the, the redemption of your body, Romans 8, for which you groan and long with all creation, that, that'll be complete. We, we will enjoy material abundance with Jesus our greatest treasure. That's what's coming. But listen, friends, is heaven the only place that we can expect material blessing as the people of God? Think about that. I I think we can be so concerned about avoiding a a health and wealth gospel. A false gospel that, that deceives people with, with guarantees of financial riches and physical healing on earth. We can be so concerned to avoid that, that that we can actually end up functionally denying the Father's joy in blessing his people in this life. You following me? You know, it, Yes, in Christ Jesus, we've experienced every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And yet, to those who are anxious about what they're going to eat or drink or wear, Jesus does not merely say, hey, at least it's well with your soul. (laughs) What does he say to those who are anxious about what they're going to eat or drink or wear? Matthew 6, 32. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Thanks be to God. (laughs) But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Why? Or rather, what do we make of all the people the apostles healed during their ministry? Or Jesus healed in his ministry? Why why does Paul speak of gifts of healing that the the spirit delights to give to members of Christ's body today? I mean, why why are we going to pray tonight for physical healing as a church family. When, when preaching to the people of Lystra, why, why did Paul and Barnabas say to the living God, he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness, Acts 14, 17. Or, or why did Paul say to the Corinthians that he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully? I mean, it's, yes, in this world, we will have trouble, okay? And yet, our suffering Savior says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he's the God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
I, I love how Mark 10 ca- captures both realities here. The, the reality of suffering on this side of heaven and the Father's heart to lavish blessings on his people, even physical blessings, as we wait for glory. Let's listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions <laughs> and in the age to come eternal life. Both. Urging Israel to walk by faith. Here's the point. Meant urging Israel to anticipate God's blessing. Material blessing included. Question. Is that your happy expectation, my friend? Is that your happy expectation of the Lord? Or or have you so spiritualized God's love? That, that you can't imagine praying for, let alone receiving a home or a car or a pay raise or a child or, or an end to your back pain as an expression of God's affectionate favor for you. The, the, the trap is we, we almost can feel guilty, I think, about praying or looking to the Lord for material blessing sometimes. Does he owe you a healthy body in this life? No. Will giving more money into the offering, to the work of the Lord, sowing that seed, earn you a healthy body? No. It also won't earn you a bigger paycheck. And yet, yet, We serve a generous king, a generous king from whom faith anticipates blessing and abundance. So think of it this way, okay? The biblical alternative to the health and wealth gospel is not a God who has no concern for your material desires. He created your material desires and he delights to satisfy our desires because he's a good father who deeply cares for his children. Matthew 7, 7. So ask, ask, don't manipulate, don't, don't give to twist his arm, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Faith anticipates God's blessing. That faith says in the words of Psalm 27, 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That doesn't mean that goodness is a blank where we can write in whatever we want and then hold God accountable for not delivering it. 
But what can we expect? What does genuine faith do? It believes, Lord, whatever comes my way, whatever's going on, I trust because I know you, you're a good father. I will experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Being blessed by God in every way is the defining mark of the people of God. In both spiritual and physical ways, now and in glory, we're a people whom God has blessed. Faith anticipates that. That's the first way it plays out. Here's here's the second. Point number two. Faith doesn't just anticipate God's blessing. It's confident in God's power. Okay? It's what it looks like. Faith in the God who's actually there. It's confident in his power. Think about this. God is not neutral in his response to the spiritual and physical forces opposed to his people's welfare. He's not neutral. He he promises, look at the end of verse 15, to afflict all who hate you, all who seek your destruction, Israel. Why? Because he so identifies with his people that for someone to hate them is for them to hate him. It's personal. To to oppose his people is to oppose him. And so, so whether we're talking about Egyptian taskmasters in ancient Israel, or or the soul-destroying power of the world, the flesh, and the devil today, what is God faithful to do? To align himself with us against our enemies, against those who oppose us. What, What does that mean for Israel? Look at verse 16. You shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Translation, Israel, you've got a guaranteed victory in Canaan coming your way, okay? Question, has God called us to an identical battle today in expanding the nation state of Israel? No, no. I'm a little bit concerned that we were really quiet with that question, but that's okay. The answer is no, all right? Verse 16, look there is not a mandate to resettle the West Bank. Hear that. Why not? Because the mission God has given the church today under the new covenant is different. It's different. The, the, the battle we wage, it's a spiritual battle. To what? To see the kingdom of God. What's that? The redemptive rule of God come to pass in the hearts and lives of his people. That's our battle. It's it's a fight, and it's a real fight, to see men and women from every nation, starting with our kids and coworkers, to joyfully bow their knee to King Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Don't think, oh yeah, Israel had a fight. Jesus did a fight thing, so now I'm just on vacation. No, okay? We're in a battle with divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what kind of battle are we in, friend? We're in a spiritual battle on the road of obedience to Christ. And yet, our enemies, without and within, are just as real as Israel's. And, hear me, the promise of victory is just as sure 
Because as the Lord urged Israel to be confident in his power, so he urges us today. The the work is different, but the underlying principle is the same. Verse 17, look there, highlights the nature of our need. This, This is timeless. See yourself, hear your voice in this question. The nations, these nations are greater than I. How then can I dispossess them? Do you hear yourself in that? Do you feel your weakness in that? How indeed? I mean, have you ever looked at your broken marriage and said in your heart, how could we ever be reconciled? Or have you ever looked at the kids in your home and said, how could I ever lead them to fear the Lord? Or, Or have you looked at all the work that You know, your client's demanding, it's like two weeks of work, but they're demanding it in two days. And you're thinking, how can I ever get all of that done? Or have you ever contemplated a a really tough conversation you know you need to have with a friend? And said, how can I ever say the right words? Or or have you ever sensed the, the domineering power of a besetting sin in your life? And said or thought to yourself, how, how can I ever put that impulse to death? It's just haunting me like some creep in a movie that won't go away. You, you know the work God has set before you. But it feels impossible. So you're anxious. Duh. <laughs> you're not sleeping. Your blood pressure's up. You're afraid. But bottom line, what God is requiring of you or seems to be requiring of you requires more than you have within yourself and you know it. Ever been there? What's the answer? It's an abiding faith that rests in the power of God, my friend. Look at verse 17. Someone's missing from their questions. Did you catch that? These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? How many characters are on the stage of their life? The nations and I. Is there another character on the stage in your life, Christian? Are there really only two? Is it just you and those people or you and that boss or you and those kids or you and that broken marriage? Is that all that's there? Friend, God is missing from that assessment. Were the nations greater? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Very much so. Could Israel dispossess them? Absolutely not. Not a chance. She didn't even have chariots. She had no training. She had no wealth. She had no international alliances. Like, I could keep going. She she was just shot. So why not be afraid, Moses? Israel, it's because you and the nations are not the only characters on the stage. (laughs) 
there's a living God, a faithful God, a, a mighty God seated in heaven, Israel, who's reigning over the universe and acting for those who wait for him. So yes, you see the nations. Yes, you see yourself. But Israel, don't stop there. Keep going. Keep looking. Kingsway, keep going. Remember the Lord. Verse 18, remember the faithfulness of your God. You shall not be afraid of them. Why not? But you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. What's what's the point? Christian, do not fear the nations, fear the Lord. Period. Remember the gospel. Remember the greater exodus from, from sin and death Jesus won for you at the cross. Remember the triumph of his grace. As he stands before an empty tomb, remember all the Lord has done in your life to to bring you safely thus far. And as you remember all those things, what's the right response to all of those things? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Don't focus on how you failed or could fail in the future for all you planner types out there. Don't do that. Meditate on the redeeming power of God. Which, side note, is why spending time reading God's word isn't a box Christian's check. It's the soil that nourishes our faith. You won't have any faith in the God who's actually there apart from remembering the Lord. And I love how Moses just piles up phrases. Did you notice that? Like great trial, signs, wonders, mighty hand, outstretched arm. Why why is he doing that? It's like, okay, I get it, Moses. No, you don't, Israel. (laughs) Because there's a whole lot to remember. A whole lot to remember. Christian, in Jesus, same is true today. God chose you. God called you. He, He regenerated you. He adopted you. He justified you. He sanctified you. He's glorified you. He's empowered you. Right right now, he's working all things together in your life for your good. You don't don't walk throughout your life as, as just some cowering, miserable underdog batted around by the waves of fate. And your own sin and everybody else's oppression. I, who am I? I'm just, a, I'm just a victim. No, you're not. What are you, Christian? Romans 8, 37. In all those real things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's who you are. That's not hype. That's not motivational speech. That's the reality of your victory through union with Jesus Christ. And you need to hold on to that. And you need to remember that. No matter what oppression or difficulty is coming at you, you need to know that is real. That is true. That is not who I am. It's not my identity. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. So what do we do? We say with the words of the prophet Isaiah, 35.3, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Anybody got an anxious heart in here? Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. What, What is that? Call us to do. Remember the gospel, Christian. 
Remember what God has done before. What he's done before, he'll do again. I have good news for you. God doesn't get old. God doesn't take breaks. God doesn't retire. God doesn't lose his edge. Your God is a God who saves. Look at verse 19. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Period. His saving acts in the past, that's Moses' point, are meant to shape our expectations of God in the present and in the future. That's faith. And the victory he's promised us in Christ is just as comprehensive as the victory he promised Israel. So, verse 21, do not be in dread of them. Whatever that them is, you fill in the blank, friend. Do not be in dread of them. Why not? Do not, don't look to the challenge set before you in fear. Why not? For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. He's in your midst, Israel. Christian, how much more is God with you? Think about that. He's, he's not in a tent down the street like he was in the tabernacle. He's literally through the Holy Spirit, dwelling within you if you are trusting and following Jesus. What does that mean? You are never, ever alone. And so the Lord says to you, the same thing he says to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon. I mean, pick your leader. I was sharing with Eliza last night over dinner that it's like the way God calls people to do amazing works for his name, it's the same speech every time. Hi, I'm God. You need to do this. By the way, I will be with you. Hi, I'm God. You need to do that. By the way, I will be with you. Just again and again and again. The Lord is in your midst. Far more true today. But I mean, that raises a question, right? Does the timetable of his deliverance, his provision, always make sense to us? No. No. But it's not because he's MIA. It's because he knows what's best. He's not just powerful and present. He's wise. Look at verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Israel, you're going to have to keep walking in dependence. I love you too much to do the flashbang thing and then just all smooth sailing. Because Israel, I know, your heart is prone to wander. (laughs) Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Little by little, one degree of glory to another. So that you keep depending on me. That's his heart. If the forces arrayed against you, Christian, without and within are frightening, Today, fear not, because the nations are greater than you, but your God is greater still. If you're walking by faith, if if your confidence for deliverance from from all your enemies, sin and death included, if if it rests on Jesus, of this you can be certain. Look at verse 24. No one shall be able to stand against you. 
Rest in his power. Rest in his presence. Rest in his wisdom. Notice how Moses describes the Lord in verse 16 and in verse 23 as giving the nations over to Israel. Like just handing them a football or something, right? What, What kind of God does that? A God who has absolute control, right? Complete mastery, total sovereignty. Such is the Lord's relationship to every one of your enemies today. Think about that. He's he's not just with you and against them. He is. He's also over them. And because God will give them to Israel, verse 24, Israel will make their name perish. What's the connection? Their victory will be the direct result of his victory. And in fact, his victory is what will enable their victory. So to every family member that mocks your faith, to every temptation that would would lure you away from loving the Lord, to every disgruntled employee that could sabotage your company, to every child that seems hell-bent on pushing you until you snap, to every demonic power whispering, go ahead, take your life. They all walk onto the field of battle as defeated foes. Subject to the authority and power of King Jesus. He is with you, he is against them, and he is over them. With you, against them, over them. When when the Jewish leaders, I love this example, when they sought to kill the apostles in Acts 5, Do you know what Gamaliel, one of their number, stood up in the middle of chaos and said? Check this out. Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Is he lying or is he telling the truth? It's the truth. It's not because you've got great faith. You've got great trust. Speak it into existence. That is not what I'm talking about. It's because we have a conquering, mighty Savior who is with us against them and over them. Kingsway. That's why. So, what does that mean? If you're in Christ... His glorious purpose for your life will succeed. It's going down. Will he restore your marriage? Will he save your child? Will he heal your back? I don't know. But we do know this. Our God is supreme in power and ever-present help in trouble and perfectly wise. We do know that. that. That's the confidence that we have in every good work the Lord calls us to do. That's why, that's why we trust him and refuse to stop trusting him because our final victory is assured. 
What's genuine faith do? It anticipates God's blessing. It's confident in God's power. We'll end with this, lastly. Genuine faith upholds God's judgments. Verses 25 and 26. Upholds his judgments. What is this about? Well, the assurance, any of you getting hungry? We're going to use a sandwich illustration here, okay? Because I'm getting hungry too. So let's, let's redeem the hunger, all right? The assurance in verses 16 through 24 that God will surely triumph over his enemies. That's the whole package in the middle. That's the meat of the sandwich, okay? What's the bread on the outside? And don't give me that. I'm only into the meat and talking to the bread, okay? You need the bread too. So what, what is the bread on the outside? What, what are the bookends? What's that promise of victory Christ sandwiched in or sandwiched by, bookended by? Well, it's, it's two identical warnings. And we actually skipped over the first one in verse 16. So look back there. You shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Notice that word. Now look at verse 25. The other piece of bread. Same message. The carved images of their God you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. There's that word again. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Israel's mission to destroy the Canaanites was an expression of God's righteous judgment. That's what it was against Canaanite idolatry. Her her job was to destroy them completely, false gods included. But what would she be tempted to do? while she was doing that job. It's the same thing we're tempted to do. (laughs) Do we really need to wipe them out? (laughs) Right? That's going to take some work. My son could die. Can't, isn't just defeating them enough? I mean, can't, can't we just go easy on them a little bit and, and achieve the same goal. I mean, we want what you want, Lord, but, but isn't there another way to get that done? <sighs> Do we really have to burn their gods? I mean, I did the math. Do you have any idea the market value of the silver and gold in that God? <sighs> we could melt it off and put it to good use. I could give it to the tabernacle. What, what, you wouldn't want all that precious metal that you created to go to waste. You hear me? What, what's the temptation in a nutshell? I could go on. To substitute my judgment for God's. Isn't that it? Wipe them out. Burn their gods. Well, I see what you're getting at. But... To to make compromises like, I know that nation or those idols will seek to lead me away from the Lord, but I'm sure I can handle it. I'll be careful. Promise. I know God says it's an abomination, a grievous affront to his glory, but, but I like to think of it more as a risk I can mitigate. 
I know the house of the dragon has a lot of graphic sex. But trust me, I have the self-control to put all that before my eyes and not lust after another woman or view my wife in bed any differently tonight as a result. I know my closest friends have little to no interest in the Lord, and most of my time is spent with them, but I'm convinced I can resist their influence. I know that job, if I take it, will require 85 hours a week. Most of my time will be away from home. My spouse is already concerned I don't spend enough time with the kids. I don't spend any consistent time in God's word, but you know, I'm sure I'll make it work. I I know my girlfriend isn't a Christian. But, I mean, there's got to be a way to, like, give her my heart and still love you. You say it's wrong and that I should run the other way. I think of it more as a challenge I can navigate without too much trouble. Friends, why did God command Israel to consume the Canaanites, to burn their gods. Why? Because both actions upheld the authority of his righteous judgment. That's why. It it was a critical way Israel privileged God's verdict over her own evaluation. It was an expression of humility. When when the Lord warns, warns her, look at verse 25. You shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. What is he saying? You can't play with fire and not be burned. You can't flirt with sin and remain unaffected. Either you wage war against your sinful desires or they will kill you. Colossians 3.5, Paul doesn't say, try not to indulge too much in what is earthly. He says, put to death, therefore whatever is earthly in you. To to walk by faith. Here's the point. Doesn't just mean anticipating God's blessings, confident in his power. Oh yeah, blessings down with that. Your power, go Jesus. It also means you refuse to toy with or make peace with or celebrate things or sights or actions that God says are evil. What the Lord is against, we must be against. That's the point. What what God has purposed to destroy, we must put to death. That the posture of God's heart toward evil must be the posture of our heart toward evil. Verse 26, you shall utterly detest and abhor it for it is devoted to destruction. Friend, please hear me on this. Please hear me. Do not content yourself with saying, don't content yourself. Don't console yourself. Don't say, I'm good because I can say, I sure wish I could do that wrong thing, sin in that way, do that thing. I sure wish I could do that, but I know I, I know it's wrong, so I won't. I sure wish I could, but I know it's wrong, so I won't. That little part of your heart that wishes you could sin will kill you. It'll kill you. Genuine faith says more than, okay, I won't cross the stupid line. 
No, it says, Lord, what you hate, I hate. What you abhor, I abhor. The, the sin and wickedness that you have triumphed over at the cross, I will not come crawling back and try to resurrect it from the grave. I won't feed the monster you defeated, Jesus. I will put to death by your power the sin you have defeated and purpose to destroy. Your attitude towards sin will be my attitude towards sin. Genuine faith does what? It upholds the judgments of God, friend. Doesn't negotiate, doesn't justify, doesn't bargain. It upholds them and humbly submits to them. That's critical. Bottom line, the true and living God with whom we have to do because there is no other. He doesn't reward generic faith and a generic spiritual power or faith in nothing in particular. You have to trust and obey the God who's actually there. You have to choose to walk by faith, that God, if you want to experience his covenant faithfulness. What does that faith look like? Well, it's a heart that turns away from trusting your ability to save yourself and toward Jesus' faithfulness to save you. (laughs) Looking to him to give you life, to, to him to give you joy, to him to cleanse your heart, remove your shame, forgive your sin, make you right with God. That kind of faith, genuine faith, Christ centered faith, it anticipates God's blessings because of Jesus, it's confident in God's power because he conquered and it upholds God's judgments because Christ's judgments will prevail. That's what faith looks like. May the Lord plant and increase that in our hearts. Let's pray.